0: Driver off the first You hit it OB So it's back to the box hitting three off the tee Skull a wedge to the front Of the green then three put I think it's time for a drink Grab a beer and some friends We'll go till we reach The 19th hole at the
1: end we'll Keep it rollin' till the sun goes Welcome back to the Friars Golf Podcast. Uh, Scott Alfin here with my partner in crime, Matt Lawless. What's up, buddy? Hello, everyone. Yeah, hello, hello. As usual, Matt's in the closet again today.
0: The the recording studio slash closet.
1: (laughs) Uh, But anyways, uh, you know, we're thrilled to have uh, a fantastic guest join us today. Um, uh, Greg Mahoney, he has been a longtime Friar. He has headed up the Young Pro program with the Friars for quite a while uh, in the process of kind of handing those reins over to Sam Stillwell and Joe Gunnerman. Uh, let's welcome Greg O to the show. How are you? Hey, guys. Hey, Scotty, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We're, we're thrilled to sit down with you and talk and, and hear everything golf and your life and travel. And uh, so maybe just fill us in of uh, your history with the Friars, Greg, and and kind of the transition with the young pro
2: program that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. So my history with the Friars was back in 20, 2012, I would guess the year was, I was playing in the pro member at Calusa Pines and I was grabbing a beer at the bar. And this guy from DC comes up to me and says, I heard you're Grego. My name's Rob. I want to be your, like, let's, let's grab a drink. So we started shooting the breeze a little bit and Rob's turned into a really close friend. And then about a year later, he's like, Hey, my, my friend owns this Friars club. We're looking to start a young pro program. Would it be okay if I nominated you for membership? And I was born away. I said, absolutely love to, I'm all about meeting new people and especially people that love golf and love to travel and learned a little bit about the organization. And I was part of the Friars young pro kind of inaugural class, which was pretty cool. And then I was relatively active with it. I, I loved playing whenever a friar would call. We'd go play somewhere or I, if they needed a fill-in somewhere, I'd gladly drive. And and then I kind of hung up my playing clubs in the middle of 17, end of 16, middle of 17. And Jeff Renzulli approached me and said, hey, look, Greg, we know how passionate you are with this. We'd love for you to kind of take the reins and grow it from this little side thing we have. And maybe it'll be big one day and maybe we'll have a PGA Tour player one day. I said, I'd love to. I'll donate as much of my time as I can. And until a day I can't, I'll do it. And we went from, I'm going to guess, 15 active friars that were coming to the Young Pro program to, I think we had 50 one year to the Pro Am, which was really cool oh. to see the membership kind of yeah, take the program a off.
1: Yeah, that's great numbers, Greg. Off.
2: So, but uh, yes, yeah, so when I hung my clubs up, I actually uh, got into the travel business. So I am the VP of a. International Golf Travel Company, now called Celtic Golf, and I build custom golf travel to Europe. So it's tons, tons of fun. And yeah,
0: that's that's awesome. I, I don't know if you've ever heard heard this trip. So I I, I met our, uh, our our humble servant Don Bostic at the airport at four a.m. in the morning on a flight that got delayed into RDU a few years ago, and um, just started chatting him up while we were sitting there at the baggage claim waiting for golf clubs to come and. And I asked him like what where he was coming from. He's like, well, I should probably do my job and he kind of gave me the sales pitch on the friar So I get back home the the next later that afternoon I, I pull up the Friars website and I see the young pros thing on there. So I'm thinking I've looked at all these kind of like country clubs and stuff have a young pro young executive membership so that's what I'm thinking of. So I shoot Don an email back and said, hey, I'm interested in being one of your in your young pro program. And he just like he he immediately responded back he's like, yeah, I don't think you're quite what we're looking for there without ever watching me swing a club. Uh, but he knew I was not quite young pro material. But I've still got hopes and dreams for that someday.
1: Hey Matt, I, I was a little concerned that you were gonna say that you thought Don was a young pro, and and that, that was gonna even be more funny than you being a pro. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean,
1: that that would be fun to watch.
2: <laughs> now we've all seen Don swing a golf club. He wouldn't, he couldn't fool him for that, for sure.
1: So, uh, so, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about, about Celtic golf? I mean, I know you guys do customized vacation, you know, golf vacations to, you know, Ireland, Scotland, I'm sure you're doing all, you know, England and France and probably some countries we're not even thinking about right now. I mean, to to tell us about that, uh, that market right now and and how, how, how much that's growing.
2: Yeah. So Celtic golf, we're actually celebrating our 33rd year now. Um, we are a family-run business, my uncle-in-law. So my wife's uncle started the business in late 89, early 90. Um, he was His grandparents were Irish. He's a dual citizen Irish-American. And uh, he was planning a retirement trip for his dad, actually. His dad was a butcher in Philadelphia and wanted to go to Ireland on a golf trip. And his mom said, Jerry, plan this for him. So he went over there, scouted all the golf courses and came home and said, Mom, I want to grow up. Let's start a real business. And that's when Celtic Golf started. So the backbone of the business is four, eight, 12, 16 packs of guys from a golf course or ladies from a golf course that just want to go have a good time together in in their own coach and doing their own thing and just having a, a trip of. I don't want to say a trip of a lifetime because I want we love it when people travel more than once, because that's kind of knows we did a good job. But um, to, to have a great experience, you know, and we've evolved over the years and we're authorized providers for the Open Championship, Solheim Cup. Um, we've managed big Notre Dame Navy football games and just you name it. If there's anything that's Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales kind of golf related, it's us. And then we've ventured off, and we do Italy, Spain, Portugal, a little bit. That's not not a big part of our business, but the people that have been to Ireland twice, Scotland twice, and want something different, they want to go chase the wine and play some good golf. They go to Spain or Italy or France. You know,
0: man, yeah. it sounds like a lot of overlap with uh, a lot of a lot of the friars. It seems like you kind of sell them on that as well. Um, kind of curious. Did did any of your playing days ever overlap? I mean, going over overseas and playing over there.
2: Yeah, so I played full time from professionally from 09 till, like I said, end of 16, middle of 17. And I did European Q school. Um, It's actually a really rough year. I, I missed it. European second and United and PGA Tour second stage, both by three shots, back to back weeks. So I hid in the closet, you say, there for a few weeks and didn't want to talk to anybody. But yeah, I did European Q school and Honestly, it was part of what made me fall in love with with European golf and travel was, was going over there and experiencing that, how much different and how much fun it is.
0: I mean, you said you, you kind of grew up in, in Florida. How did how long did it take you to adjust to a different playing style of, of kind of I'm sure like a lot of Lynx golf and, and some of the other stuff throughout like continental Europe, but um did it take a while to adjust from from Florida golf to that?
2: Well, so to be honest, not really, because growing up, I grew up a mile from the beach here in, in, in Jupiter to Cuesta, it's always windy. So I've always had that low penetrating ball flight and going over there, all it was was just kind of adjusting for how much firmer the ground is. And that you kind of learn through trial and error. But no, it wasn't, honestly, it's not as big of adjustment as you think. The The guys that struggle with the adjustment are the maybe the Midwest guys where the wind isn't as thick and a windy day for them is blowing 10 to 15, but the ball goes right through it. You can't hit a wedge all the way to the moon in St. Andrews, Scotland, when it's blowing 35 near the water.
0: Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally agree. I, I haven't been able to make it there, but uh, I, I've been lucky enough to make two Friars strips to, to Bandon so far. And um, I, I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina for several years. And the muni I played there was kind of a, a firm and fast kind of Donald Ross course and, and, we were about a mile and a half in from the coast. And like you said, a lot of that wind kind of prepares you for it. And it was, it was a uh, pretty telling. You could tell the the people pretty quickly that um, aren't used to having to flight the ball and, and that type of thing. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really anxious to kind of get over there and, and sink my teeth in some true like link style golf and hopefully the next year or two.
2: Well, you got a friend in the business. Don't be shy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'd like to pick your brain, uh,
1: Greg. I know I, you and I talked last year about uh, I was potentially putting together a trip. I have never been to Ireland or Scotland to play. Um, it, you know, a lot of people have heard of some of the, the premier notable courses, you know, Dare Manor, Bally Bunyan, um, Killarney, Lahinch, stuff like that. What are what are maybe a handful of courses that aren't readily available at the tip of the tongue for the average person that that could be a must, you know, must visits.
2: I'm a huge fan of the Northwest. Um, Carn Golf Club, Ennis Grown Golf Club. I mean, you talk about somebody that it might be their first taste of going over and playing European golf or Irish golf, and maybe they can't afford the quote unquote bucket list experience yet, but they can fall in love with the style of golf, the culture, everything without playing a course that everybody has heard of, you know? And they're gonna get a real, true Irish links experience with really quality golf. So, like Narin and Portnew Rossipenna Golf Resort. I mean, Donegal Golf Club up there. There's so much good golf up there. In fact, we we did a Friars trip up there to the northwest a couple of years ago, and they played Carn, Enniskrone, Strandhill, County Sligo, um, and honestly, Strandhill Golf Club, which is one of Eddie Hackett's, not as well-known golf course was one of their favorites so it goes to show you that it doesn't necessarily need to be the bally Bunyan type name to really have a great time right
0: and i i'm just amazed i i'm a i'm a huge fan of tom coin i've read both of his books on ireland and scotland um and so a lot of the names kind of are familiar and I, i've been able to wa- kind of watch a lot of the the no line up series where they've gone over and played a lot of the irish and, and scottish courses and it always just kinda of like strikes me how just different the golf culture over there seems to be. And a lot of it it seems like you always hear it seems like the match play is always the kind of the go to over there. Um but it always seems like yeah, and it's just like the, the course is being shorter, but it just seems like you need play a lot faster and, and shorter rounds over there. Is that kind of the the thing that you've seen over there? Or is it is it still kind of more similar to American golf?
2: No, it's definitely much faster. So Not to drop names or drop anything like that, but I was in St. Andrews uh, back in the end of February, early March for my annual Scottish tourism event. And a good friend of mine that happens to be a hotel partner of mine is a Lynx ticket holder. So we actually played the old course at eight o'clock in the morning on a Friday. And we played a four ball. We played in about three hours and five minutes. Wow. So when you're walking, that's walking. There's no golf carts. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. very walking culture over there. You're there to play golf, keep it moving, have a great time, and we were telling stories. It wasn't like we were not talking to each other. We were all talking on every green and every tee. It's just, it's more of a do your business, go play, see you on the green kind of thing, you know? Yeah,
0: that's that's awesome. I and mean, you kind of you kind of uh, not to, to kind of open it up, you, you mentioned something about the the walking culture there. Um, it, I was kind of surprised that Tiger decided to come back come back for for the Masters. I mean, knowing how hilly and and difficult of a walk. Uh, Augusta National is, is is could St Andrews be any more different in terms of uh, the landscape there? I mean, uh, you'd have to think that he'd have a lot lot better chance of, of having the uh, the ability to kind of withstand four days of, of a tournament walking walking St Andrews, right?
2: Oh, night and day. I mean, I haven't had the fortune to play Augusta National, but I have been lucky enough to attend a Masters, and that place is so unbelievably hilly, and it, a shot may play level but you're walking straight down to walk straight back up to the fairway. So what that does on his body, but in and St. Andrews, couldn't be more flat. Um, I mean, it's about the easiest walk ever. It's literally tea green, tea green, tea green. So if the golf course is 7,200 yards, you're really only walking an extra couple hundred beyond that. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure it, it, I'm hoping we, we had such a weird masters this year with so much wind on, on Friday and Saturday. I'm, really hoping and knock on wood that we're not going to see a a winless open championship because you can imagine um i mean that's the main defense for that course i mean it's a the the fairways are are pretty wide and um it's it's not a really long by the professional standards when you were when you played it in february what was the what was the weather like in in february
2: oh it was it was a little chilly i'll be honest with you i had a a sweater on long pants i had an under armor on and then i had a a rain jacket, even though it wasn't raining. I had my rain pants on, even though it wasn't raining, just to help with the wind and the cold. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm going to have to disagree with you, though, with the wind. I'm hoping for a sunny, perfect mm-hmm. event because people will be outside having a great time, maybe drinking a pint or two and just loving Scot- Scottish weather and Scottish golf. So not that I'm rooting against you, but I want some sunshine.
0: Yeah, I th- I'd probably be a little bit different if I if I wasn't gonna be sitting on the couch and and having my coffee early mornings. If I was gonna be there with with you folks, uh, I'd probably be asking for about seventy five degrees and sunny and, and no wind. So uh, we'll see, and, and I mean hopefully that that still lends its way to to Tiger, but uh, kind of along that same track line. Like if just kind of want to pick your brain. I mean I I haven't haven't been. What is the the typical season for for Celtic golf? And I mean does the does the golf travel industry to Ireland, Scotland every ever truly stop or you just kind of I'm sure it probably dwindle some in the winter for but there's still got to be some sickos like myself that like to go and, and play golf in the middle of the winter over there
2: yeah no absolutely so that, I mean season season height of season would be your kind of May 15 to October 15 range and that's when everybody for the most part it's they're playing their summer vacations or for our northern pros it's kind of the end of the season event or for our Southern pros, it's the start of the season. They bring their members over, you know, but you'd be surprised the access you can have going over there in November, February, March. So I'm an authorized provider for old course tee times. And I get a block of those from April through the beginning of October. Right. But if you travel over there in November, December, uh, January, February, March, you can play the old course for, a lot more accessible. The ballot is almost not, I don't want to use the word guarantee, but it's pretty darn close. Pretty good chance you're going to get be successful if you're in St. Andrews for like a week. And you play off mats on some of the courses, but honestly, it's it makes it so it's just fun. You know, you carry around a little one foot mat and it's only in the fairways. You can hit it out of the rough and not, a, we don't hit that many fairways anyway these days. So you're very rarely ever using the mat.
0: Man, that, that sounds like a, a trip. I mean, have you, have you personally done the,
2: the I mean, I feel like it's kind of right rite of a passage
0: to, to do the, the, the St. Andrews camping out early morning, trying
2: to, trying to get that tea time. Have you actually done that yourself? I've I've been there with clients that have done it where they wanted to have the experience. And I went out as they got ready. Cause I mean, nowadays, if you're there in August, you're lining up at, I mean, eight, nine, 10 o'clock the night before. And it's very good. It's an unbelievable honor system. So if there's four of you and one of you needs to use the restroom, you just go and you come back and you get in your place in line, you know. Wow. You can go grab a sandwich or maybe bring a little fifth of whiskey and keep yourself <laughs> warm all night and it's people they tell stories about how they've met lifelong friends in the singles line at the old course and it's one of those things I think every true golf dork should do in their life. Yeah, that's I, I've had some
0: some pretty interesting kind of experiences along those same lines. Um, any, anyone who's met me knows that I like to talk. I, I've never really met a stranger. I'm about as uh, extroverted as they come. So I, I've had some opportunities. I played uh, the Kiowa Ocean Course uh, 2000, summer of 2019, got paired up with two other two other guys that, that didn't know each other as well. One guy, was, he vacations there every summer, played the Ocean Course 15, 20 times, something like that. The other guy was a ENT doctor there on a conference. Um, we were walking to the first tee. Here we are at the Ocean Course. They're they're still they're making some changes for the PGA Championship, even that far out. And he asked me, uh, so do you play golf very often? Which I was like, that's that's kind of a weird question. Walking to the first tee of, of, of one of the top public golf courses in the country. Um, and I said, yeah, I, I play, play quite a bit. Um, asked him if he plays very often. He's like, no once or twice a year and I was, uh, I knew I was in for an interesting day. I mean, he legitimately had to go in at the turn, buy another dozen golf balls. Uh, and then we get to the 16th tee's and you're starting to turn back to the turn back to the clubhouse. And he turns and looks at me. He's like, yeah, so I know you've, you've played a lot of golf. Where do you think this course is in terms of hardness? Is this a hard golf course? <laughs> and I kind of let him know like based, based on a lot of the magazines, this is kind of the, the one that's considered to be the hardest co- golf course in the United States. And he just got wide eyed, like he he'd never uh, never never occurred to him to even look into anything like that. He just heard heard the name of it and wanted to get out there. But it was it was one of those things. I mean, it was kind of difficult playing with him, but it made the the round for me a lot more memorable. Um, I, I don't remember much about the other guy, but I always remember that that ENT doctor. But yeah, I'm sure you could probably um, have those same experiences playing the old course with with some strangers and, and and really be able to take it in for its its full full beauty.
2: Well, not even just the old course, to be honest with you, like if we're we're doing we run big pro-ams for PGA sections and we'll put group travel together where it might piggyback. Let's use let's use the Notre Dame Navy football game, for example. We'll send people to the Notre Dame football game Saturday in Dublin, but we'll then play golf in different quadrants of Ireland for different groups of 24, or 28. And I'll be I'll go host one of them. Staff will host another one. But every now and then there'll be a fill in day where somebody just doesn't want to play. They're tired. So I'll be the 28th golfer. And it's fun because then I get to play with my clients and see where they're from, get to know them quite a bit. And you would be surprised how often they're like, yeah, we we really don't play that much golf. We we go to on two golf trips a year. But other than that, we might play twice a month, you know, but we just love to travel and soak up new culture. And to me, that's the beauty of golf is you don't have to be an absolute diehard to have a great time with golf.
1: Yeah. I think, I I think from my perspective, that's one of the the really cool things of the Friars, Greg, is, is is there so many events where, where I'll show up and I play with new people that I've never met, but, but by the time you've played, you know, golf for, for four hours, you're, you're fast friends and you're, you're talking about, you know, what, what is your cocktail of choice at the, at the 19th hole, you know, it's.
2: Yeah. Well, one of my favorite Friars that I've gotten to know over the years is Barbara Maddox and she, didn't pick up golf till much later in her life but man does she love it now you know and she's not afraid to ask a question like how did you hit that shot or why did you why did you think like that and to me it's like you can live your whole the first stage of your life and never even consider playing the sport and now you're so into it and that, like you spoke about like what's cool about the friars to me that's what's really cool about the friars
1: yeah. Man. yeah. And I, I want to just real quick before I forget to ask you this, i kind of want to pivot back to, to St. Andrews real quick, but um, you know, I'm kind of interested in this potential trip that the Friars is, is going to put out there. And I'm sure you're looking at this as well, but the 2023 uh, Walker cup, that sounds like a fantastic experience. Uh, you know, I, I imagine that you can get a little bit closer and more intimate with the, with the play and, and just be there uh, around St. Andrews for a week would be fantastic. Are you guys doing a, a trip with that as well?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So Don and I got together, and because I help, man, I help Don when it comes to the all the Europe, the European travel to Ireland, Scotland. With I'll be their kind of ground handler, do the planning because of my relationships with the hotels, and so Don leans on me. I, I plan it all. Don and I go back and forth on what will fit the group the best, depending on which friars we're kind of gearing this towards you know mm-hmm. and the, the walker cup trip to scotland is geared towards every type of friar because you're playing massive name golf courses and then you're also going to be able to walk the sacred grounds of the old course and traditionally in walker cups they never put ropes up so you're going to be really close to the next wave of, of superstars that are going to be on the tour you know right you're looking at like basically the Dustin Johnson's when he was in a Walker cup that then move on to become great. So it's going to be an experience. And I I really think that this trip's geared around every friar there is, you know, whether it's a person that plays once a month or whether it's a person that plays every day and knows their favorite golfer, what they like to eat for breakfast, you know,
0: Scott, you got, you got something. I'm just blanking right now. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you're blunt you got to come out of the closet matt you yeah gotta, i got I,
0: I had something in my mind just got just got sidetracked there well i can uh, i mean i can I, talk
2: about the three fun trips the friars club is doing to ireland and scotland next year if you want me to well let's, yeah definitely well, let's, yeah, yeah definitely
1: yeah let's let's circle back to that greg but I, I have something that i wanted to talk about and i know you you're kind of handing over the reins for the young pro to sam and joe i, I just spent uh, a long weekend with both of them at, at RTJ. And what awesome what awesome uh, ambassadors for the Friars Golf Club. Uh, both of them are awesome guys. I know Joe's getting married. He's got a lot going on. Sam is such an outgoing guy and, and, and does such a great job with that. Maybe tell us a little bit about what to look forward to with those two guys and maybe the future there.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with both Sam and Joe is just passion. I mean, they both – They're great friends, and if you needed something, they would give you the shirt off their back, but they're also passionate to see the next wave of golfers, of of young professionals, make it, right? What really hit home to me with the Friars Young Pro program was that it was guys that were in a position to help the next person in line, right? So when I hung up my clubs and was offered to take the reins of it, it was my opportunity to help the next person in line. and. Work has gotten so busy, and and honestly, me being removed from professional golf for five years, I had to be honest and say, look, I don't know the next wave of young pros that well. Joe and Sam were still very much involved in travel, playing events, going to Monday qualifiers. They know the guys and the girls that are on the road. So I sat down with Sam, and I was like, Sam, I, I, I'm thinking I, that I, my, my term is up, right? I think it's time to pass this on to somebody else. That's going to be able to put their attention into it, knows the products and how to get us the next wave of really good golfers. And so Sam said, absolutely. I'm in Joe offered his services as well. And I, I, I passed the reins over back in December was when I might call them here for you guys, but you know what, you guys are playing in the next young pro event. You're going to plan the next class of people. Any questions, don't be shy. I'm here. And they've done a great job. I mean, look at the wave of young pros we've got out there now between Chad Tootin, Brandon Matthews on the, on the corn Ferry. tour. I mean, Brandon's locked up his tour card for next year. How cool is that? You know, we're gonna have a Friar PGA tour member. So.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And I can't wait to see all, you know, I think all those, um, all the young pros are going to be coming to San Antonio for the Friars club championship this year. So I'll look forward to catching up with all them and, and seeing, seeing all those guys, you know, up close and personal and play some fantastic golf. So that'll, so that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, uh, Greg, you mentioned, uh, you said you you hung up the clubs, but I know, I mean, was it just last year you kind of got out there and started playing some of the, like, the, the was it PGA section events?
2: Yeah. So I, I am a South Florida PGA associate. I should be a class A. I keep pushing things back. COVID kind of, really slowed my schooling down for that because you still need to go through all its qualifying level one, two, three to become a class A. It's it's a ton of book work. So it's been pushed to the back burner a little bit due to the COVID reschedules with my everyday job. But yeah, so I, I being an associate, I'm allowed to play in certain South Florida PGA events and then I'm allowed to play in certain national events. So I don't practice be brutally honest with you. <laughs> I played all last summer. The events were on Mondays. I'd play Monday, put the clubs in the trunk and then play again the following Monday. So depending on which guy ro- rolled out of bed that day, I could either shoot 65 or 78. And the beauty of it is I'm having fun either way. So exactly.
0: Now, uh, I, I obviously know, but imagine if someone was dumb and didn't know what the differentiations are between a class a and the PGA associate, um, once you, once you kind of explain that process a little bit, I, I've always heard the terms kind of tossed around, and I kind of know in terms of like teach professionals and stuff like that. But uh, can you explain what that that really is? Yeah, yeah. So
2: there's two sides to kind of golf. There's the playing side, which is the PGA Tour, and then there's the teaching, working, facility side, which is the PGA of America. And there's 24 different categories in the PGA of America, ranging from an from one all the way which is. Oh, man, if the PGA was here, hear me say this. I think one is a director of golf. Um, I'm a 24, which is called a miscellaneous because I'm in golf. I'm growing golf by sending people on golf vacations. But that's why it's a miscellaneous. But there's people that are – let's use the Titleist ball rep, for example. He could be a PGA of America member because he's in golf. That would be a classification as a a rep. you know. So anyway, the schooling is – you literally take as if you're getting a college certification. It's going to take, I believe, 800 hours is what they estimate wow. to get your class A certification. You need to work for a facility, a golf golf course, which is called Greengrass, or work in the industry for 24 full months before you can get your class A. Um, and Anyway, the reason why I'm doing it is the PGA professionals are clients of mine, and I can be in the meetings and be their peer. I believe it goes a long way from a respect level. And then also, I miss golf a little bit. Uh, I did two years ago, where I was like, you know what, I want to be able to tee the ball, pull the scorecard for something that matters. Because I'm a big believer in once you're a golf professional or a professional golfer, you should always be a professional golfer. Unless you've made a 10 footer to pay your mortgage, you'll never understand the pressure of that. And to me, there's a lot of guys that go back, and I'm not talking bad about them any way, shape or form. But they go back and get their amateur status back and then they go and they win their, their County AMS by five shots. And it's like that, that doesn't do it for me. So I want to compete, but I'd rather compete against people in that have the same kind of career path as myself. So my, my ultimate goal is to win the professional golfer national championship and play in the PGA championship. So that's what I want to do.
0: Well, let me, let me know when you do that and I'll, I'll, I'll carry the background for you and you can, um, use me as your as your your donkey out there but that that, that sounds awesome that that really clears up a lot i i, I kind of always heard it kind of thrown around and i really didn't know much about it but that, that, well uh, yeah there's a lot
2: those 20 pga professionals that you see in the pga championship which you'll see in um here in may it's hard to believe the pga is now in may i still can't get my, my head around that but like for example we have a young pro joe Lucier, who was from day one of him being a young pro, he was that side of the business, that side of the model. So he's a teaching professional in Virginia, but then he plays quite a bit. He's very active playing on the PGA side and he's qualified for, Joe, if I'm wrong on this, don't yell at me. I'd say the last three professional national championships and he's been close qualifying for a PGA. So we might have a major champion competitor here one day through that Man. through that avenue.
1: You know, That's, that's fantastic. Hey, let's talk, Greg. Let's talk real quick. Uh, Ryder Cup, uh, 2023, I think Italy. Correct?
2: Yep, Ryder Cup's 2023. I'm uh, still working on putting all that stuff together, but uh, yeah, we've done it in the past. Traditionally, I was in France for what year was that? 2018, due to COVID reschedule. So it's it was an e- it was an even number back then. Ryder Cup is one of those things that, until you've experienced it, there's nothing like it especially as an American going on foreign, foreign soil. I thought Americans were diehard when it comes to sports. Oh my word. <laughs> I remember I was on the first coach with the first wave of clients to golf national in Paris. And I want to say we got in there at eight thirty in the morning through the gates there. The stands were already packed people singing three hours before the first tee shot was going to be hit. It puts those, uh, the-
0: in, in the U.S., it always seems like one the, of the U.S. Open and the PGA Championships up at Bethpage. They always – they always talk about how bad the, the New Yorkers are up there. But, uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like the French and, and all the other nationalities that show up for the Ryder Cup over there tend to put us to shame as, as much as they want to try to pretend like uh, they, they're um, above such activities. They, they're they they're just like us
1: in that regard.
2: Oh, the Euros uh, are way more loyal to their sports than the Americans are. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, That's me really-
1: are, are you guys already preparing for 27
2: for uh, Adair Manor? We are. Yeah, we are. Believe it or not, I've already have hotels reserved. And it's it's insane how far in advance you have to plan events like that. Um, but, yeah, we're planning for it. There's big projects being done with the roadways in the southwest of Ireland to make it so that it's really smooth. And it, it it's going to be an amazing event. I mean, Adair Manor is – it is the most well-manicured place I've ever been in my life.
0: Um, Kind of what I mean. So back to kind of Celtic Celtic, Celtic golf travel, I mean, what to – so if I want to put together a, a trip for myself, are there already kind of canned trips already kind of put together of five or six different courses? Or can you really pick and choose a la carte what you want to see?
2: Yeah, so – on my website, you'll see quite a few kind of their trips, right? That'll have mm-hmm. six nights, five rounds of golf. And that's mainly just to get your your gear spinning. That way, if you see something, you're like, oh, I've always wanted to play Valley Bunyan and Old Head, but maybe I don't need to go to Turley or something like that. But I want to spend three nights in the Southwest, and then I want to go over to Dublin and play Port Marnock and the Island and Royal Dublin. Absolutely. We can customize it all. So- I always say no trip is too hard and no trip is that easy, but like you can do anything as long as it's within reason, as far as on your body driver laws and how long you want to be there for.
0: What are the ones I know it's, it's kind of a interesting thing, kind of going back to the, the golf culture over there is it's, it seems like it's kind of flipped on its head that a lot of the great courses over there are, are public golf courses. I'm sure there's a handful of, of private, um, hard to get tee times, um, What are a few of those that if people are kind of wanting to plan a trip that they really need to get out uh, as far in advance to try to get on on to play?
2: Well, so that's what's actually a huge misconception is they're not actually public golf courses. Um, Okay. They're actually very private clubs that allow visitors certain hours of the day. And then an operator like myself has access to things that the general public does not have access to. So their models are so different over there. Let's use an American private club model for an example. Let's just use a nice, nice country club. You might have dues of $10,000 a year, $12,000 a year, right? Before you spend any money playing golf in the restaurant, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Their models are so different. You can use a famous course in the Southwest not to throw anybody under the bus, but the dues might be 500 a year for a local member because they generate their revenue through visitors.
0: Yeah. And that, that's one of those kind of crazy, crazy models. And It's just like, I, I wish something like that would, would kind of catch on. And it's like, the, there's so many places in the U S that um, unless you're, you're lucky and, and know the right people or, or you're a friar that can go on, on certain trips, there's a lot of places you just, you, you can't throw money at to, to, to go see. And that just always seems like one of the appealing things. And you, you'd almost think a lot of courses over here would like to do that and kind of, they can subsidize the membership and, and do that kind of thing. But uh that's that's really interesting. No, I didn't realize it was that that stark of a, a difference in, in the cost to to join those places.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's use an example just in my area down here in South Florida. I mean, you've got the die preserve, the Bears Club, Seminole, MacArthur, Jupiter Hills. Unless you know somebody, you're the average golfer is never gonna be able to play those golf courses. Yeah. But if you want it and you can save for it and it's a desire, you can go play old head belly button in Waterville Tralee old head all in a six day span just by making a phone call.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of, kind of wish that, 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 that aspect of the culture would make its way over to the U S but it feels like that's one of those things that the, the genies out of the bottle. I I don't, I don't see that happening, but um, I kind of want to, want to put you on the spot. Um, we'll, we'll do, we'll do both you, uh, the U S and, and overseas um, in the United States. What is, what is your one course that you, you play one course before you die that's, that's the course you're going to play your last chance. What, what course is that that, that immediately pops to mind for you here?
2: Have I already played it, or it can be one I've never played before?
0: Both. I mean, you can you do any. Yeah, probably one that you've played before. I'm kind of curious to see what what's kind of stuck out with you.
2: So my favorite golf experience that I've ever had playing in the United States is Calusa Pines. I think that that place is gold. I mean, from when you walk in, the, gr- the greeting you get is – unreal and it's not stuffy unreal it's just greg good to see you how are you kind of thing and the golf course is spectacular i don't think i've ever been bored playing it and i've been fortunate to probably play it 20 times that would probably be the, of the courses that i've played my last course if i had to Wow. obviously i'm one of those guys that's always wanted to play augusta national so of a course i've never played in the u.s that would definitely be it and yeah, I know that's kind of weird to say the Tuesday after the Masters, but yeah, that would be it.
0: Yeah, that, that that's been one of the really really cool aspects of uh, the the Friars Young, Young Pro program was is getting to know Anna Redding, who who played in that first Augusta National Women's Amateur. That she hit the first tee shot after the honorary starters that that Saturday morning, and just just kind of hearing her experience of 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 actually being not only being inside the ropes but playing it in, in an event like that just. Um, it's one of those things that you wouldn't be able to make those connections for. For me personally, wouldn't be uh, available to me outside of, outside of the masters. But um, so that's that's your U.S. course. I actually thought you might have gone Shadow Creek. Did you work at some events yeah. at Shadow Creek before?
2: Yeah. So in my playing days, to pick up a few extra bucks to keep me going, I would help do the celebrity golf hospitality for the Derek Jeter and the Michael Jordan celebrity events out there every year. I think I went nine years in a row.
0: Wow. Um, I'm
2: sure that was an experience. Oh, it's so much fun. That, that course is out of this world. But I, I've played Shadow Creek, I mean, five, six times. But I've never played Shadow Creek as like a guest of the day. So they've always been great. The, the staff out there after the event, after we clean up, they're always like, hey, it's still going to be light out for the next five hours. Go grab a set of clubs and go play. Have a good time. Thanks for working hard. So I've done it that way. And that yeah. place is unreal. But i've never had the the privilege yet to soak up the experience of doing it as a guest of the day you know so that's why i didn't mention that one but that place is so cool i mean really really cool yeah
0: it 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 looks awesome just the the little peaks you've been able to kind of get um i know they've had some some events there recently they've got a little more television
2: showing but um, it really feels just before you move on from that it really feels like you're playing a course in the carolinas you forget you're in the middle of the desert
0: yeah, well, I know a friar that was out there in, in January, and some of the pictures he, he sent, there's one of the par threes um, that goes over water, and there's all these big, lush, green trees. And it's just like, man, I thought you were playing a desert golf course. And it's just, um, you see, like, the aerial photos of it, and you can see it just look like a, an oasis in the desert, like, literally. So, um, yeah, it sounds like a, a really interesting experience.
2: Well, if you send anybody out there, tell them to order the margarita. It's the best margarita in the world. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, a, that's probably the most expensive one, too, by the time it's all said and done. Ugh. Uh,
2: yeah. I'm lucky enough that when we're there, they usually throw a few of them in our golf cart for us when we're done working. And I, I've never had to pay for one. So that's yeah. nice.
0: That helps those that's a, that's the right price. So going to ho- hold your feet to the fire. Give me one Irish and one Scottish course that are, are top of your list. I, I won't hold you just one overall, but I, I got to get one off of you from all right i always
2: ask i always ask this follow-up question there to me there's a difference between experience and golf course so i'm going to give you my number one experience and i'm going to give you my favorite course
1: in each country
2: so i think my favorite experience is old head that place is out of this world um the views are unreal the food is some of the best at a golf course i've ever been to and the people are just so welcoming um so that's my overall experience my favorite golf course from tee to green in Ireland I'm going to I'm going to say it's Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland. I think that golf course is as fun to play and as hard as anything I've I've played. And it, it doesn't beat you up like from an unfair perspective, it's just a really really good design. So, probably Portrush is my top Irish golf course. Wow. Scotland. Um hmm I've been fortunate enough. I've actually played in the St. Andrew's Lynx Trophy on the old course. Um, My my world amateur ranking was high enough back in college that I got into that and the British Am. So for my graduation present, I played the Lynx Trophy at St. Andrew's and the British Am down in Formby in England. And you talk about coolest experience. Playing the old course in any form of competition was about as cool of an experience as I I can ever remember. So I'd say the old, the first time you ever play the old course is probably your best golf experience. So that's, um, that's
0: interesting. I, I kind of want to, I mean, you, you've, you've probably got a little bit different perspective. I've always had heard from, from a lot of different people that if people say that they loved the old course, the first time around, they probably rely to you just cause it takes. So it, it takes a few times around to kind of really learn to love the golf course. So it, it, that, that's really interesting. You're one of the first people I've heard that have said that it's uh that you you loved it from from the jump like that.
2: Well, I just love I love golf history. I love respecting things that have been around for as long as the old course has been around. And when you peg a tee on that first tee box and you stop and look around, the RNA clubhouse is behind you, and you've got all these old Scottish buildings. You're literally playing the first and 18th hole or, like in the middle of the town. Yeah, and-
0: I, I always see the cars parked along the right side there on on 18. It's just man, I, I don't know if people are just desperate for parking spots, or they just have a little more faith in people's golf game, but I, just knowing, knowing everyone's got the big right miss, it seems like for most people, that uh, seems like a dangerous area to park in.
2: Well, it's the people are desperate for parking spots, and honestly, I'll tell you this, I, I, in all the years of me going over there, I've never parked a rental car down the right side of 18 Fairway. I never will. <laughs> um, but no, it's just something about the, to me, the old course, the first time, I mean, do I get the same goosebumps? I've played the old course probably 15 times now. Do I get the same feeling every time I play it? No. But is it cool every time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'd say the first time you play the old course is probably my favorite Scottish experience, golf course experience. And then my favorite golf course. I'm a gigantic fan of Cruden Bay. I think that place is fun. The bathtub hole is – yeah, I'm going to go with Cruden Bay. I just think it's a great another – again, a great golf course with just a great design the views are spectacular i'm going crude and back forgive me everybody else <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we, we, we won't we won't hold hold you against it. i know i didn't want you to put anybody on the spot because i know a lot of these are are your clients stuff and it's just like i mean it's, it's probably hard to hard to go wrong even with um you can probably do one or two of the, the top tier elite names and there's probably a lot of these courses that um for most americans i mean just how different the golf is over there that um you're going to have a good time no matter what As long as you kind of go into it with the right mindset I think you'd, yeah. you'd be in, you're, you're probably not a good friar if you have a bad time Playing anywhere in Ireland or Scotland I would guess No
2: absolutely and honestly to be fair It's like I'd almost rather tell Everybody what my favorite golf course And experience is in each region You know because a lot of times It's not the most famous course in that region yeah. Like western gales On the west coast of Scotland Most people don't play it But it is spectacular
0: that's uh i I'm, I'm a i'm a huge mike Strantz fan and, and he's kind of a, a a polarizing figure in the united states because it's either you, you love his designs or you hate them and so the, the one that kind of always kind of jumps out to me is kind of like karn and and there's a couple of those that are just looks like the the scale is just turned up to a million it's just uh you probably have a lot of blind T shots you're, you're looking at so that's one kind of tough my mind but yeah i'm, I'm kind of as wild and tricked out as it can get, then then sign me up. I'm I'm gonna go into it. I might, might shoot 150, but I'm gonna have a good time doing it.
2: No, All the way. beauty of Karn is I mean, we're we're lucky very lucky at Celtic Golf. As a company, we're members of Karn, Old Head, Bally we get to play a lot of really cool places and Karn is not ever going to beat you up. It's not one of those courses that it rewards really good golf shots. It's just when you get way offline, you might shoot 150. <laughs> Yeah. If you're in those dunes, you're going you're gonna to be there for a
1: while. Well, hey, hey, Greg, um, I want to jump in because we're getting towards the end of our allotted time. Um, but I wanted to let you have the opportunity and kind of have the stage to just remind people uh, who you work with, with Celtic Golf, how they can contact you, uh, how they can get, you know, reach out via the website, all that kind of stuff. That way, you know, folks who are not friars can still, you know, find you.
2: Yeah, no, much appreciated. Thanks for that again, we're 33 years family run. So if you want somebody to handle, we can be as hands-off or as hands-on as you want. We have groups that just want us to book their golf transportation and hotels, and then they eat pub food for the week. And we have groups that want us to organize sightseeing adventures, lunches, dinners, every aspect of their trip. But yeah, so we're, we're Celtic golf Um, websites, www.celticgolf.com. My Personal cell, which I answer basically every hour of the day is 561-906-0837 and just Greg at Celtic Golf or info at Celtic Golf, and it's going to get to the right person. So yeah. we're, we're a team that's very passionate about making sure that people have an unbelievable time in Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales. And our end goal is to have you travel with us for the rest of your life and have a great experience. Good stuff. I, I, I look
1: forward to connecting with you and, and doing some trips in the future. If, if you contact Greg, uh, let him know you heard this on the Friars Golf Podcast. It'd be interesting to find out if we have any uh, any, any help with you getting some, um, you know, new 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 business. That'd be fantastic. Um, but on behalf of Matt and myself, Greg and, and the entire Friars Golf Club, we really appreciate your time. and and appreciate everything that you do for our club and for everybody else in the golf world. So thank you so much.
2: No, it's a privilege to be a friar a privilege to be on the show. And I mean, I I tell as many good people that make good friars about the friars club. And because the whole goal is to, as Jeff puts it, I want to be able to sit at a table one day and tell a story with somebody that I would have never met before and become lifelong friends with them. And I've had the privilege of having that happen. I mean, 20, 30 times, probably now where, I can pick the phone up and call somebody that I would have never met without the Friars Club that's now a really close friend. So,
1: Very, very well said. And we're going to end it with that because that's, that, that's what it's all about. So, again, Greg, thanks a lot. We appreciate you.